0: Well, let's continue our series in Philippians. Um, If you haven't been here with us for a while, um, we've worked our way through Philippians very slowly, uh, which has been awesome. So even today, we're only tackling about four verses, and it's been a real blessing to us. We've been trying to tackle whole books of the Bible as we think that that's how God intended it. And um, sometimes it just meant we've taken really big chunks and we're struggling to get everything out of it that we want and we think that God intends for us. So we've slowed down and it's almost like a good cow, right? Just like chewing over things really well and hopefully it enters in better and we get more nourishment from it. So today we're at Philippians 1 from verse 27. Open up your Bibles there. Um, Philippians chapter one from verse twenty-seven, and we're only going to read through to uh, verse thirty. Now, by the way, this um, these four verses. Uh, one sentence in the Greek language, in the original language and uh, I'll mention a couple of times just what we've seen in our Bible and what the original word is and I don't like doing that normally but hopefully it's helpful. But what I really want to say is if you have any questions about languages feel free to talk to Tim and Justin who's just d- did done some language um, exams on Friday for Theological College so I'm sure they can tell you everything that you need to know. I think it went well. I prayed for them so go and have a chat to them. Philippians 1 from verse 27. And I'm going to read from the ESV. It'll be on the screen for you if you don't have a Bible. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engage in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Let's pray. Father God, um, yeah, help us with this. Uh, this is where you show us what it looks like to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. And we would hate to sit here today, awake but not seeing, hearing but not understanding, and leaving here and living lives unworthy of the wonderful, beautiful gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So speak to us tomorrow morning, show us your truth, exalt yourself before us today, and may we see Jesus not just as someone to live a life worthy of, but to see as our ultimate worth in life. We pray this in his name. Amen. Now on uh, Australia Day in 2013, I became an Australian citizen, and I know, I know, I know, this comes to a huge surprise to you guys. Because many of you thought that I was born and bred here in WA. Or maybe it's just because I tell you that and you started believing the lie. Uh, and since that day, I've tried to live a life worthy of my Aussie citizenship. You know, I call people mate now. Um, and back where I come from, that was a racist term. Okay, You could potentially be thrown into jail for saying like that. But I've managed to change my mindset. This is what Aussies do, right? And it's good, so we call each other mate. I also respond in the positive to people's question by saying, yeah, instead of, "yah." You know, that's, that's how the Safa's do it. They, they say, yeah, um, and I've had to change that. Uh, when I drive down the freeway, would you believe it? I drive 100 Ks an hour, sometimes 106. Um, but, you know, I'm not going at 140 like we used to do it back in South Africa or kind of really whatever you want. No one really cares. No one really follows much of the rules there. Um, I vote. Uh, I watch AFL more than I watch rugby. Uh, I can't wait for summer in winter time. And then in winter, I can't wait for summertime. You know, the stuff that us Aussies do. (laughs) Whatever season we're in, we want the next one to come along. But I want to be worthy of my Australian citizenship, right? Now, in our passage today, we are told to live lives worthy of our heavenly citizenship. Now, it's not at first clear because the translators struggle to know how to translate those words. Let your manner of life be. That's a verb. And those six words consist of one word in the original language. And and a better way maybe to translate it is to say, um, be a citizen or fulfill your civic duty. Um, But to say, you know only be a citizen worthy of the gospel of Christ doesn't make much sense because the gospel of Christ is not a place like Australia where you have citizenship, or South Africa. No, it's a message about Jesus and not a place. But I wonder if Paul intentionally made it a bit weird because we can't actually live lives that make us worthy of citizenship in heaven. We can only become heavenly citizens Uh, through our belief in the good news of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nonetheless, I do think that once we become citizens of heaven, through our faith in Jesus' death, His resurrection, His ascension and His reign right now, there is a new standard of life that we live by. And this new standard, as heavenly citizens, shapes us all the time, everywhere, no matter the pressure. Okay, And actually, our heavenly citizenship trumps our Aussie citizenship. You know, the Philippians would have picked up on this when when Paul was writing these words, that he's saying, hey, you guys are in Philippi, Uh, you are Roman citizens, and I want you to live as heavenly citizens, not with Caesar as your Lord, but with Christ as your Lord. And so for us in Perth as Aussie citizens... We live as citizens of heaven with Christ as our Lord. Uh, And Paul will actually talk more about this. So you kind of get a bit of a, like a whiff of it now, but it's not the main thing. Later in chapter three, verse 20, we read this. But our citizenship, that's the same word that I've been wrestling with now. Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But for today, I want to show you what lives worthy of the gospel of Christ look like looks like here and now. And there are three factors I think that we see. And they all start with an S. The first one is this: lives worthy of the gospel are lives that are the same in secret and in public. And I think we see a bit of this in verse 27. At the beginning, now this is certainly not the main point I think of, of the passage, but Paul expects the Philippians to live lives worthy of the gospel of Jesus, whether he 's there or whether he's absent and only hearing for, you know about them. look there at verse twenty seven again Only let your manner of life be worthy of the Gospel of Christ. Here it is, so that whether I come and see. Or I am absent, I may hear that you are dot, dot, dot. We're going to look at that now. You see, whether Paul, their pastor, is with them or not, he expects them still to live lives worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And a good question for us to ask is, do we live the same around our church leaders and our industry leaders, where we work maybe? Or do you live, you know, to please your church leaders when you're around them here at church? And then when you're at work, you live in a different way so that you can please your industry leaders and impress them. Now, when I, in, when I was in high school, I remember trying to not spend any time with the pastor whatsoever of our local church. And this made it a bit tricky in year 12 when we actually had to go for classes in his house. But anyway, it was always only a brief, hey, how are you going? And then try and get out. Hey, there's people behind me who want to get through, you know. Um, it was always very shallow. I always kept him at arm's length. And the reason is because I knew the life I was living was not worthy of him. I was living to please my mates more than him. Uh, I was living to uh, please my teachers at times more than him. Certainly not my pastor. He wasn't front and center of my mind. And, and I'll get to a bit that maybe even that is not even proper thinking. But I wonder if you're living the same way today. Maybe you're trying to be worthy of, of, of your teammates at your sports club and you live a certain way there. Uh, or your workmates or bosses. Other times you live you know, a life worthy uh, of, of a husband or a father trying to please your wife and your children. Maybe you're the person that wants to be worthy of the funniest person going around tag, you know? And so you're always joking, and and people really wrestle with where they're at with you because they're not sure ever if you're cracking a joke or if you're speaking the truth or what's going on. It's just really difficult. Now, do you see the problem we have if we always try and please the people around us? We're never going to be a single, consistent person. We're always going to change to suit our environment, a bit like a chameleon, right? Essentially, we're going to be enslaved by the different environments or the people or whatever it is we're trying to please. But when we're trying to live lives worthy of the gospel of Christ, we're set free to, 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 to live for him and him alone. And when we live lives, here's a good thing, when we live lives worthy of Jesus, we will be great workers. We will be great parents. We will be great spouses and partners. We will be great students. We will be great sports players and friends. As we live for him and him alone, all the other things will fall into place. And we will be consistently the same people who who people can depend on. You know, like people will not see us like this one way and then when he sees us us with our family or with X or Y and Z, then we're different. No, we will be dependable. We will be reliable and trustworthy in our character and our lives. You see, people who live lives worthy of Jesus do so in secret and in public. Whether they're alone or they're surrounded by others. Whether they're with a group of mates in Northbridge or with their growth group. Whether they gathered at a sports stadium or gathered at church, whether they were believers or non believers, they're consistently the same people because they're consistently living for the same person, which is Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing. Lives worthy of the gospel are the same in secret and in public. The second thing is, Lives worthy of the gospel in standing and striving. We see this in the second half of verse 27. Now what strikes me about this point is its plural focus. Did you notice that? When Paul thinks about what a life worthy of the gospel looks like, he doesn't think of an individual at home. You know, he doesn't even think about an individual at home reading their Bible and praying, which is a great thing. The true test of a life worthy of Jesus is how you relate to other Christians. And this really made me think, you know, these Christians that, that think they don't need to be part of a church and they're just these super Christians in their homes doing these super spiritual, super natural things, but they're not connected to anyone. How can you, you know, say that this is true of you? Because it does seem that the true test of a life worthy of Jesus is how you relate to other Christians. And not just in general. You know, it's not like, oh, yeah, he's my mate, or we get along. We we both like the eagles, we click. You know, it's not like that. It's not in a general sense, but how we stand firm and how we strive together side by side for the progress of the gospel. Have a look there at verse 27 again. This time we'll read it till the end. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Now, now to help us think of what it means to stand firm in one spirit, I think it might be helpful to ask, why do we have to stand firm in the first place, Right? And I think the, the, the answer is it's because we're being pushed and pulled in all directions, right? And if we don't stand firm in the one spirit, as Paul says in Ephesians 4.14, he says, we'll be tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and by craftiness in deceitful schemes. You see, Satan is out to deceive us and cunningly, sneakily, trying to work over people in the church and and ultimately churches themselves. You know what? And I reckon Satan would never want churches to stop existing. That's just my thought. But I'll tell you why. I think he would want churches that want to fit in with the world. People who think, I'm I'm good with God, but also we're trying to please these people. People who end up being neither here nor there The churches that Jesus speaks very badly of, as we saw in the book of Revelation. Satan would want churches that believe everyone is saved, no matter if they believe in Jesus or not. Churches that don't stand for marriage between one man and one woman. Churches that do away with elders and, and, and instead have boards and start running the church as a secular business. Churches that divide and split over nothing important really for the wrong reason, since before you know it, churches are on shaky ground. They're no longer standing on the rock-solid foundation that is Christ. That would be his tactic. And so it's very important that we stand firm in the one spirit. And I think when it says one spirit there, I believe it means that the It's talking about the one and only Spirit of God. You know, we often talk, especially in our modern day and age, of, oh, we've got Spirit, you know, and and it can often lead to, um, we play the game with Spirit. It's like a manner of how you go about things. This is more than that. This is about being and standing firm in the one and only Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit that's poured out onto every person that puts their trust in Jesus. And you know what? One of the things I was thinking is like, what does it mean to stand firm in one spirit? It just made me realize again that this same spirit is the spirit that stands behind every single word of the Bible, right from the first word to the last word, behind every stroke of every word is the Holy Spirit of God in the original languages. So at its most basic to stand firm in the one spirit means to stand firm in what the Bible teaches us. You know, so that means we, we can't really stand firm with people who, who, who don't like bits of the Old Testament and say, oh, no, no, well, let's, let's cut this bit out. No, we don't agree with that book. We don't, no, no, not that bit. We, we like this and that, and they're very picky. We can't stand firm with people even who take things out of the New Testament who say, oh, well, that's not culturally relevant anymore. You know, we need to stand firm uh, in the one Spirit of God and look at all of the Bible and uphold it. So, so to live lives worthy of the gospel is to be united by the Holy Spirit that fills us, that renews us, and that leads us by the Word of God. And it's hard to imagine, you know, that the, 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 the church is not being able to stand firm in this. You know, like if everyone actually has God's spirit, how is it that we can be divided? How is it that we can't be united and work together for Jesus? But sadly, it happens, and and it's part of God's way to uh, expose who's really saved and who's not and purifying his church, and so we have to watch out. Now, it's not just about standing firm, okay? It is also about striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And some churches get the standing firm, but really, well. Wow, they nail that, okay? They've got, um, they, they've got pure theology, they've got doctrinal unity, you know, some denominations have, like, books about this high, and they all have to believe it, and every pastor that, you know, is accredited, needs to hold all those things, and memorize all of it, and be able to spit it out, even if you wake them up in the middle of their sleep. But those kind of churches often struggle with the striving side by side to take the faith of the gospel to other people who don't believe in Jesus. It's almost like they work so hard at standing firm that they don't have enough energy to strive side by side for the progress of the gospel. And we want to do both. Okay, we want to do both. And that's what, what it says here, lives worthy of Jesus Do both, standing firm and striving together to share Jesus with the lost. Now, again, I have to mention a word from the original language that helps us understand the concept. It's the idea there of striving side by side. Now, again, this is a single verb in the original language, and and, and its stem is where we get our English word athlete from. Athlete. And so to advance the gospel to advance uh, the faith of the gospel, we work together as athletes on a team. That's the kind of image that we've got here. Now, you guys know about the Olympic Games, right? That's due to begin at the end of July, and it's been hotly debated whether it should go ahead. Well, Australia has an Olympic team, and our softball team actually just got on the plane on Monday. And, and, and that team, as well as the whole of the Aussie team, will work together to get gold at the games, right? And I think we can learn from them. And, and also, as you look at this word athlete in other parts of the Bible, and, and I think what we see, what striving side by side means, is kind of three things. It means commitment. It means discipline. And it means effort, Okay. And so as we strive side by side for the sake of the gospel, we need to do those things, commitment, discipline, and effort. So how much commitment have you shown to advance the gospel in your church, whether it's here or maybe you're visiting at your church? And have you shared that commitment with anyone, or is it just something only you know? You know, I, I love what we did last week when we had four new members who we welcomed you on Sunday who publicly committed to us and the work of the gospel and they, they shared that with everyone that was here, everyone that was watching online uh, and everyone that was at our members meeting. It was beautiful. Or at a minimum, commitment uh, must surely be gathering here with God's people every week and maybe even bringing people along. I, I don't know if commitment... Uh, can be a one Sunday in a month kind of thing. I wonder if, if, the, if the Olympic athlete, right, if he rocks up at one training session in every four, I wonder if he'll still be on the team. Or do you reckon they'll say, "Mate, I'm not sure if you're really interested. Are you committed to this team? You want to be on this team? You want to go get gold in Tokyo? Well, why only here one in four? But somehow that seems to be the norm at church in terms of our commitment, Right? It's the once in a month thing, just tick that one off. I walk in friendly, happy, just pretend I was been here every week. Commitment. What about discipline for the faith of the gospel? Are you disciplined in training to be a good Christian, right? So as we think of sharing the gospel together, we, we need to train ourselves to know that gospel, to understand it, to apply it, to resonate with people and share it. Are we are we having the discipline like an Olympic athlete would? In their training. You know people don't just accidentally end up on, the, on an Olympic team, right? You don't just get a call one day, you're like 20Ks overweight, um, you know, just playing PlayStation, like, hey, you made it on the team. Oh, great, I haven't even been training. No, that's not how it works. Um, they are super disciplined with their training, with their diets, with their alcohol intake, with you know, smoking and sleeping and, and all sorts it actually starts consuming their life. They live and breathe this thing that they're trying to achieve. And it's quite interesting because the word here, when it says with one mind, striving side by side, that word mind is actually soul. And it's almost like those who strive together for the sake of the gospel is like a breathing organism united, and we, our hearts beat for the same thing, and we're in tune with each other. But I don't know why it is that we think we live lives worthy of Jesus without any spiritual disciplines, you know, like prayer or memorizing scripture or Bible reading and studying or, or even proactively fighting sin. Discipline seems to have gone out the window. And then lastly, athletes put in effort, right? Athletes put in effort and so should we. Have you, have, have, here's a question. Have you ever seen an Olympic athlete win whatever it is? You know, whether it's the 100-meter sprint or high jump or whatever. Have you ever seen one of them win a gold medal effortlessly? It's like strong, <laughs> so easy. No, you watch like the videos and photos of those guys in slow motion, and like <sighs> you know, like they put in so much effort. They, you know, like they put the, their bodies uh, to like extreme uh, pain that they might exert the most effort from their bodies. And so we, too, need to work hard in sharing Jesus with people that they might believe. Now, I've recently heard of a mum who was meeting with a not-yet-Christian friend, um, a mum here from our church, and they were reading the Bible together. Uh, You know, she just said to the lady one day, hey, why don't we just read the Bible together? And you can just knock Jesus off as something that's true or real or, um, you know, or or we can go further and see how you go. Uh, Then she found out, oh, gee, there's another mum in church who's also meeting up with a not-yet-Christian friend of theirs. And so they got together and now there's a group of four. And before you knew it, you know, before they knew it, there were more than four of them and obviously all of their children as well. And so what they found is that as they're trying to share the Bible... Uh, with these people who don't believe in Jesus yet. Their kids constantly got in the way, you know, classic, classic. Um, and, and so they thought, well, what if we can get the kids out of the way? And so these mums can actually engage with Jesus and we can talk about it. And so they ask a lady from our growth group, hey, can you, can you come look after these kids for, for an hour or so? Now, I've got two and a half kids, you know, and it takes effort to look after them. And he says, what person in their right mind would go and look after 10 kids and none of them are even their own, you know? I'll tell you what sort of person. A person that wants to strive side by side with others to share Jesus and in so doing, live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus. And so as we finish this point, I guess uh, we're left with a question. How much effort, how much discipline, how much commitment have we shown here at our local church in making Jesus known? And I know there's many of you that's done all of those things extremely well, and there's others that maybe have to wrestle with that so that you can live a life worthy of the gospel, not a life worthy of me, the ministry pastor, or of Tony. It's not about me. It's about living a life worthy of Jesus. All right, now our third and last point. Lives worthy of the gospel of Christ. Notice how I said lives, not a life, because I want to bring in that idea of uh, multiple people doing it together. Lives worthy of the gospel of Christ, in secret and in public, the same. In standing firm and striving. And thirdly, in suffering for Jesus. Now notice the for Jesus bit in the point. Okay, so this passage is talking about suffering for Jesus. As you strive to advance the good news about Him, it's not talking about when you hit your little toe against the end of the bed or when you lose your job. Okay, there are other passages like Romans 8 that we looked at recently that teach about how God even uses those little things for our good, but that's not what this passage is talking about. Look there with me at verse 28. And not frightened in anything by your opponents, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. You see, suffering here is from people um, who oppose those striving to advance the gospel. And we see in verse 29, it's called, the bit that Tony read out earlier, suffering for Jesus' sake. So this is not the hit your little toe against the bed suffering. This is suffering for Jesus' sake. And what, what do lives worthy of the gospel of Christ look like in this kind of suffering? Well, they don't actually change they don't shrink back. They don't withdraw into their shells. They don't get shaped by this uh, suffering. Yes, opposition might scare us, but it will not shape us. Our fear is reserved for God and Him alone, and He alone will shape us, okay? And if we can live lives worthy of the gospel of Christ like this, right? So by standing firm, by striving side by side with, with kind of one mind for the faith of the gospel and, and not being frightened anything by our opponents, did you see what was going to happen? Well, you will become a sign, like a big billboard, that's a nice thing to be called by someone. Hey, you big billboard, you're doing a great job. But that's what will happen. You will become a sign, like a big billboard. You know, like that one on the way to Calmscott that all the O'Neill guys are on all the time. That one, like one of those. Like a big billboard. And, and our opponents will see in us their own inevitable destruction. They will see something profoundly spiritual as very different people Are brought together and they're united in the one spirit of God. They they will see something out of this world when they see people working together, hard work, uh, like one body with one heartbeat, as if their souls have been knit together, working for something that doesn't seem to be earthly and physical, Uh, you know, working for something that is about valuing Jesus more than their own safety, security, comfort and ultimately their very own lives. And surely if they see people like that and churches like that, they will know, yes, Jesus is real. Uh, In my heart of hearts, I keep saying he's not real, but he must be real. Look at this church. He must be real. And so what he said then must be true. And so I will face him one day. Now on the flip side... Uh, they, will, they will know that we are saved. This is the other side of the, the billboard, I guess. Um, they will know that we are saved, and it's God's work. It's not ours. We, too, must be encouraged by, by this sign, right? So this is not just for those who don't believe in Jesus yet. This is for us, too. We must be encouraged by the sign of salvation, and I really hope you can see them. Do you see with eyes like this? spiritual eyes that see billboards across our church and and out into our community as they go out. People who have endured suffering for Jesus in unity without wavering, standing firm in the truth and not fearing people but fearing God. Can Can you think of a person maybe right now that God has put on display in your life? I think we should hope and pray that God would use all of us as such signs, wherever He has placed us. Now, now, that is what lives worthy of the gospel of Christ look like. And, and that is the standard that we have to pursue as citizens of heaven. And as we do that, God uses it, get this, for the sake of His Son. Look there for, at verse 29 with me. This is the bit that Tony read out. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Wow. Now, what mind-boggling truths here, I think. Tony was saying, hopefully Danny will explain it. Well, I'm not going to that much, actually. Um, I'm pretty much at the end uh, of this sermon, uh, and I would love to dig deeper into it more. But with a brain that's working at about 40% capacity and a thousand things going wrong at home... I haven't managed to get stuck into this as much as I would love to. Uh, But what we see here, uh, what's worth sharing, I think, is that idea of God granting things. That word granting is graciously given. So God has graciously given Christians both their belief in Jesus for their salvation as well as their suffering for Jesus. Now, I wonder, have you thought about your suffering for Jesus as a gift from your good heavenly father. Have you thought about it like that? I definitely think that we we acknowledge God's work, you know, of salvation in our lives as something we haven't earned. There's no way we can get ourselves to heaven. It's It's a gift that we received from God and we don't pay for it at all. But I don't think we often talk about suffering for Jesus as a gift, a gracious gift from our father. I think at best we believe that God is in control. Yeah, God's in control of our suffering and and somehow he's allowed this and and he's going to use it for something, who knows what, but I trust him. I was going to cling to that. Um, But what we see here is that our salvation and suffering for the gospel are gifts for Jesus' sake. And so in other words... Our faith in Jesus during opposition brings glory to Jesus. It it, it exalts him. It makes much of him. And so as we cling to Jesus, despite hostility, despite threats, despite great losses, we show he's worth more than any of those things to us. We show that he's our most valuable possession. And so we finally see, here's how these things fit together, I think. We see that lives worthy of the gospel of Christ is is lives that show Jesus' great worth and value. Does that make sense? Living lives worthy of the gospel of Christ is to live lives that show Jesus' great worth and value. You know, when I became an Aussie citizen, I gave up my South African citizenship. And it wasn't so that I can come live a life worthy of Australian citizenship. I gave it up because Australian citizenship was worth more than the other one. And so it is for us, as we give up the things of this world and we live in this radical way, not just to live lives worthy of the gospel of Christ, but because he is of infinite value and worth. And we want to show that to people as we live these lives. And God is so amazing that the gifts of salvation and suffering for the salvation of others is good for us and that they make us worthy citizens of heaven. So we'll get there one day. And he said, well done, good and faithful servant. But at the same time, it also brings great glory to Jesus as our ultimate treasure. Let's pray. Father God, wow. Wow. There's so many places in the Bible, I think, of Revelation especially, where it just says, worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb. Jesus, we just want to say you are worthy of our lives, of our everything. And, and, and Lord, if we struggle with that, if we think that cars are more worthy than you, if we think footy or food or whatever it may be on this planet is worth more than you, would you lead us and show us your true value? And as we continue in the series of Philippians, we pray that that might happen, especially as we hit chapter two and see of you, the eternal God, who has come down in the flesh and served us and loved us to death. Please, would you lead us in showing us your worth and your ultimate value that we might in turn with joy and, and smiles On our faces, live lives that are worthy of you. Lord, we pray for our church and for all your churches as we face opposition, as we face people who hate Jesus, who don't want his message to go out, that we would stand firm in the one spirit, that we would continue to strive together for the faith of the gospel as one body and soul, as you have united us, and that we would not fear in anything in all of this. Would you lead us in this, that ultimately... you you might bring great glory to your Son, Jesus Christ, who we dearly love. And we pray this in his name. Amen.